Hello, folks. Happy holidays, and thank you for the Strange Tonic Podcast. I'm going to keep this intro short because there's a lot to get to here, but I just want to make sure that, again, I give a huge shout-out to Pan Astral for allowing us to use their music. And on this podcast episode, I feature a track I haven't used before. It's Animal off of their current latest album, Suburban Blues, but it won't be their latest album for long because they've got another one that's set to drop here just in the next month, next couple of months, whatever. Just make sure you keep up to date. Panastral.com, Panastral on iTunes, Panastral on Bandcamp because you're going to want to do it because I know with this song, I rocked out to it almost all of my Friday night. So with that, let's get to it. businesses that I had heard of, because when I first read Under the Banner of Heaven, um, Warren Jeff's father, who was the prophet before him, who then told his you know followers that now Warren was going to be the prophet once he died, was still alive. And the way that, uh, so Under the Banner of Heaven is by, no, what's his face? John Krakauer. I'm like, oh God. And <laughs> Krakauer almost makes, it, almost makes it seem like they're like this, these poor people living on the outskirts of society, like a fringe population, like talking about how they they hate the government, they view themselves as separate from the government, which in a way is I mean, kind of how the Mormon church was founded. But at the same time, they also take advantage of all of the welfare and child credits that the government had to offer. Right, yeah. And then they also were buying up, after 9-11, were buying up shitloads of basically surveillance equipment. So when Krakauer is finishing up his book, because if you read the book, you're like, how did you get so much access? Well, he went undercover. He didn't. He found sources of people that were on their way out or were out. Or then he also just kind of like, he talks about crawling around in bushes around the town, trying to like get snap photos of people and like figure out who people are. So at uh-huh. one point he sees their security team just coming up and like right towards him. And he realized later that they had equipment that could you know, sense when people were coming into town, like, you know, or were, like, in certain places where they could overlook. Oh, good. So what, guys... like, radar almost? Like, you can um, see Motion approaching... sensors, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, not radar. <laughs> it, it, well, that it's... made me sound really, really stupid. <laughs> but it's the same basic idea. It's just radar it's the same, works same a little concept. differently. It's the same concept. technology <laughs> to give you... To give you an idea that someone's on their way over, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed the book, except for Krakauer tends to do this. I've noticed it. I've read, so I've, like a total hipster. Oh, yeah, and before I even get into this, I wanted to snap a picture of this when I was in Ballard, which is a kind of hipster neighborhood. And it's mainly Ross, because I knew Ross would appreciate it. Ross. It was a Volkswagen um, camper van. Okay that had seen better days so it's parked in this hipster neighborhood and i noticed on the dashboard had two books one of them was into the wild by john krakauer (laughs) no can you guess (laughs) what the other book was the other book there's two books the quiz show i was not ready for think Uh... basic hipster basic hipster yeah i I don't because i more associate this other book that he had 
what you could almost describe as like a tome on his dash, more something into the wild, because I, at least I've read like people post kind of quips online where it's, oh, you, you you read this book and all of a sudden you're a hipster or you're like you. So I think since I've stumped you, I'm not going to make you th- unless unless you think you have an idea. Um, I don't. No, I don't. Um, I mean, <laughs> oh, this this might it. help. Uh, the author has been deceased within the last few years. There was a film made about him, sort of an indie film within the last maybe three years. And his name, he, his name is not Thompson, is it? No. Um, but his name is, he uses his first middle and last name. I'm going to be so embarrassed when you find this. So the other, (laughs) the other tome on his dashboard was infinite jest Uh, by David Foster Wallace. yeah, the I can't believe this, but the audio literally cut out. What? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be a tough to try and splice that one in. I okay. literally couldn't hear your answer. All what? right. <laughs> well, what if I tell you? Okay, so so try and maybe salvage where it cut out. Let's do another clue. Okay. So the film stars Jesse Eisenberg and Jason Siegel, called the last, or the, sorry, the end of the tour. Hmm, yeah, maybe, I didn't see that. Maybe you're not hipster enough. <laughs> it was Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. Oh, okay. Which, okay. yeah, I mean, I that's very that. much on the... <laughs> yeah, that's very much on the peripheral of my radar, so I couldn't even pretend that I was going to get that one right. I haven't actually finished <laughs> it because, uh-huh. believe it or not, my... Grandfather, the one that I talked about, who I, mean, I read profiles in Courage, was emailing him about this. Uh, actually, crap, I owe another email. He told me about maybe five, six years ago, a book he had recently read and really enjoyed was Pro- uh, uh, Long Week. Was a uh, uh, what crap? <laughs> was a Confederacy of Dunces? That see, that was going to be my guess, but I couldn't tell you who the author was. I was like, I wonder if it's Confederacy of Dunces. Although that's not the longest book ever written, so when you said tome, I was yeah. like, eh, it might not be that one. But yeah, that's another hipster title. And <laughs> maybe he had it in the back of his uh, camper van. It just wasn't be. on the dashboard. <laughs> but so I had read a Confederacy of Dunces years ago. And so when I started, not, not taking anything away from the late, great David Foster Wallace, but I've read about maybe 200 pages of it. I was like, it's a good book, but it reads mm-hmm. so much like Confederacy of Dunces, which is... Oh, interesting. I believe the author maybe even passed away before it was even published, because I think he was sort of troubled. I believe the backstory is, and I'll look this up, that his mother submitted it to professor of, like, literature or something like that. Uh-huh. He, yeah, he... You know, <laughs> that's even Wikipedia says it. it was published in 1980, 11 years after the author's suicide. Oh shit. Okay. And again, not taking me away from David Foster Wallace, but I enjoy from what I from what I remember and from what I have read of infinite jest, I can enjoyed Confederacy of Dunces more because it was kind of more ridiculous. Like there was parts where you're like, I, this is, uh-huh. you can kind of tell it's autobiographical. There are parts where like, this is just hilarious. Like, where did you get this from? Yeah, but, like, that... <laughs> like partially satirical and... Mm-hmm. And well, the the uh, protagonist in the book is... This is probably, probably the part that's somewhat autobiographical, I would assume, uh, when it comes to Tool, who's the author, is he's kind of a bumbling moron who lives with his mom, but he's really smart. It's just that he is very, very much uh, kind of caught up in his own self to, to the detriment of actually ever being successful. Okay. And, like, he... <laughs> 
there, I remember there was one part where he his pants are falling down. He's having a hard time staying on his feet. But yet he's giving off these uh, ridiculous quips full of just they're wonderful to read, but like making it sound like he's being put out by his own. I don't know. Man, maybe I shouldn't discuss literature when I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I'm not helping at all because I don't really read literature, to be honest. I like, haven't either. Nonfiction's more of my jam, but you, me you're too. far um, more versed in... Not even, that's not even really true in, because if you... Well, on <laughs> Facebook, you can kind of see it. It's through the years where my sister will go, well, if only you read fiction. Because I'm uh, like you, for the most part, I always read nonfiction because to me, what's not entertaining right. about history? This is stuff that has happened. And if it's well written, right. I've got a book by uh, it's like Stephen Tanner. It's a military history of Afghanistan. And there's one chapter where they're talking about the English being expelled from Afghanistan for maybe the first or second time. I can't remember this point. It's been a long time since I've read the book. And it reads like prose. You're like, this is amazing. Like, wait, this probably yeah. somewhat actually happened. And it's a history book. So, But recently I've been like, all right. Mostly because the author I like, well, he's a columnist. I like wrote a novel. So I'm like, I'll read that. Like, oh, this was pretty good. I'll try something else. Okay, I'll try something else. See, my diet is still probably 20% fiction and 80% nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, right now for me, my diet is 80% nonfiction and 20% outlander. And that's about it. So... <laughs> Um, so if, a slight parallel, I, I feel that's kind of how I feel about film. Literature can be informative on the human condition for, for many reasons, not just because it's art, but books and, and film are artifacts of the time in which they are created. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think that is, you know, an important thing for that your sister has pointed out, like, oh, if you only read fiction, because it is very informative. It's True. not just nonfiction that can that can teach you about about life and history and the human condition. So and I, I will say this to anyone listening. I have never read a Harry Potter book. I've seen one film, but I'm not being judgmental. I just it, I'm not even saying I don't like it. I just have it. <laughs> You just haven't. You like can't. You just haven't even gone there to make a decision. <laughs> well, and this it goes back to borders where people would talk about like, oh, you think you're better? I'm like, no. Like, I'm not saying that. Like, I'm not, I'm not even like doing a whole thing of like, well, I didn't like it, but it's cool if you don't. I'm not making a judgment because I can't. I just, I enjoyed the one film I saw, uh -huh. but even at the time, books were especially because when people were asking me all these questions, I was in college, so most of what I was reading was textbook. And yeah. apart from that summer that I read all three volumes of the Gulag Archipelago, I don't know why, oh, why I did that, but I think after Holy I got through the shit. first I one, don't I was... Either. Well, after I got through the first one, I was like, all right, doing this. It was uh, one yeah. month during a summer. Got You're home committed. From... <laughs> That's right. Got home every night, turned on my... Uh... That's right, someone had stolen my window AC unit, so I turned on my terrible... Uh, a swamp cooler, which is not a great idea in Colorado. No. Sat there, like, just blasting it next to my head and reading. So there was that. And then the movies thing, I'm not really... I'm, I realize this because I'm again, after... I didn't finish re-re-re-watching The Wire. I got through maybe the <laughs> third season and then read something about The Sopranos and was going, oh, yeah, that was a good scene. So now I'm re-re-re-re-re-watching The Sopranos. Sure. And I'm not necessarily proud of it, but even just tonight, I was watching. Have you ever watched that show to much extent? Uh, the 
The Sopranos or The Wire? Oh, Sopranos. Sorry. No, no, I haven't. And I, that's it. That's another one of those things for me where how you are with Harry Potter. That's kind of how I am on some other things. Everybody has that. Mm-hmm. Something that has this like massive following and some people who enjoy it. How could you not watch that show? Why are do, why don't you like it? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's been on my list for a long time and I've heard only good things about it. But no, I have not watched this, The my, Sopranos. My mom has actually talked about like something she wants to watch because she you know wants to watch classic movies, classic TV. And I tell her like, I don't think it's her cup of tea. Apart from the swearing, there's also the violence. Yeah. And right. she doesn't tend to like really dark comedies, which to me, that's what The Sopranos really is. Is a, It's this mob show, which is really kind of a show about... It's a dark comedy combined with just the absurdity of psychopaths trying to fit in with normal society... And the writers trying to pass them off as people you'd want to cheer for. Sure. I watched a documentary about, oh, she, it's a, might be able on Netflix still. It's a documentary called The Golden Age of Television. And they just talk to <clears throat> different writers and showrunners and stuff from various classic shows, mainly from the mid, or from uh, 2000 to 2010. So they talk okay. with, uh, they do a portion of The Office, they do Mad Men, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. The Sopranos, uh, oh, The Good Wife, which my mom likes, but I actually oh I haven't gosh. seen that, which I want to. It's just oh, that... dude, yeah, yeah, that's 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 one of my favorite shows of all time, absolutely. And then there's another one, I think it's another HBO one that I just haven't watched, and so I think my mom probably watched. Well, I should watch The Sopranos, but David Chase is on there saying that, like the after he'd written a couple episodes, like and the pilot was picked up, he's sitting there and he's going, hmm. I'm bored. Tony has to kill somebody. Mm. And everyone around him, especially the people from HBO, are going, no. <laughs> like, you will, <laughs> people will not want to, like, cheer for your protagonist who kills someone. And he's like, that's the show. Mm. And there you go. if you don't like it, if it fails, it fails. But that's the show. Right. And so, in the, not to give anything away, but in the third episode, he kills somebody. He, yeah. He, and it's not like just runs up and shoots and walks away. It's a drawn out scene where he explains why he's killing the guy and then strangles him with, I believe, uh, an extension cord. And his hands get bloody, which <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. But if you've read uh, the actual book of No Country for Old Men, choking someone to death is ex- isn't, you know, they just stop breathing. It's no. very grotesque. Apparently, which like I know from experience. No, um, so like yeah, they, let's hope not. No, <laughs> that could be a recurring segment since we're both uh, <laughs> law and order nerds, but maybe I'm more so. I know it might just be because I'm well, a little it, older. <laughs> my own defense, I want to say I'm a little rusty. <laughs> I mean, they freaking canceled that stuff ten years ago, and Did just they? like they made a jo- they made a joke about it on Thirty Rock. You know, that NBC canceled a tent pole. A tent pole. Like, it's been... The original Law & Order, anyways, has been gone for a long time, so... Oh! Did... Are, have you watched... Uh, Criminal Intent? Not Criminal Intent. Sorry, that's... I don't like that one. You watched uh, the most popular one, which I guess would be uh, Special Victims Special Unit. Special Victims Unit. <laughs> I... Uh, once Stabler was gone, I'm like, that's okay. I mean, Mariska Hargitay uh, is a goddess. 
I love her character, but without Stabler, I'm like, eh, who is not a interested. wonderfully funny comedic actor. Which I wish there was more stuff with him doing that, like because he's hilarious. Yeah, because what is he? What is he known for? He's known for Special Victims Unit and Oz. Yes, and he's Chim on any of the different. I don't know if they call it seasons, <laughs> but versions of Wet Hot American Summer. He's hilarious, or the right. the guest spot he did on Scrubs. Uh huh. And that was during like the whole Stabler thing too. So you're going. Well, this guy's hilarious, Wait but he's, he's supposed to be brooding and, you know, dark. Like, oh, <laughs> and but... Angry, and he wants to beat up child molesters. We're talking about child molestation quite a bit. Which we'll get into later. In a yes, we will. Uh, we will. Dear listeners, don't you worry. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll Julia's talk about little it more. sister actually had a, I don't want to say a small part, because it wasn't like she was in one part, but she was in an episode of Special Victims Unit when she was quite young. Okay. Uh, it's... That's cool. The episode is, and I actually watched this before I met Julia, because when, for those of you who, I guess, don't know or don't want to know, she met via Match.com, and when we were picked up our correspondence, she was on the East Coast for, like, a month. So we didn't actually meet for a while, but we were exchanging emails and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, my little sister's a Broadway actress. That's why I'm in New York right now. But she, she lived in New York for a while, just moved back. Oh, but I don't think she's in. And she tells me, oh, she's in this episode of Law and Order Special Victims Unit. So I had watched an episode and seen her sister play a, <laughs> uh, a high school girl who is originally kind of pressured into keeping a secret for some terrible shit that the popular boys at her high school did. But at the end finally comes around and goes, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to protect these guys anymore. They're awful. And as uh, Julia said in a text, yep, she saved the day. Yay. So there's that. Way to go, sister. She's, uh, I don't know she's trying to get more into television and film, but she, mainly she just does Broadway stuff. Which is, like, rad as fuck. Oh, like, yeah, of course. That's super, super cool. Sing, like, sing and dance and all the other stuff. I don't, I've, I've played in paid orchestras before, and I'm always impressed, but, like, how do you guys do this? Like, I have the music in front of me. <laughs> I don't have to move or do anything. I just right. sit here. And then when, like, a baton goes up, I'm, I go, okay, we're, we're going, and then play until the music's over and stop. I <laughs> I even joked one time, my sister used to do some uh, community theater, was like, oh, you should, uh, in our next production, you should try out, because you, you can really sing, which is debatable. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't know if I can dance for shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can continue quizzing me on TV shows, and then um, I'll also ask you to to share your voice. <laughs> okay. We'll have a sing-off or a riff-off or uh, a la Pitch Perfect, you know? <laughs> I, I was, I took a, uh, not even music theory, I don't know what the hell class it was, just some basic freshman course for music majors when I was at UNC. Yeah. You had to do sightseeing tests, and I've always been super, uh, I've gotten better as I've gotten older but very self-conscious when it comes to singing by myself. Like, no matter how many people are like, no, you're good. I'm like, yeah, you're just saying that. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> and so you get into this class and you have to sing. And like, we're like I'm, so, I'm sorry. Because it's actually pretty good. And <laughs> then like I had to sing a chromatic scale, which I was like, oh, this is going to yeah. suck. And the teacher again was like, that's actually a lot better than most. I'm like, really? Like, how do you even tell? It's just like. I mean, it's kind of like when you hear yourself on somebody else's voicemail, 
or true that was a major apprehension before we even agreed to do the podcast was i don't want to hear my own voice it's it's weird so i guess there's some kind of apprehension because how you sound to yourself is always going to be different than how you sound to other people whether it's for good or for bad, because it can go both ways, where people who can sing think they can't, and people who can't sing think that they can and are moderately tone deaf. (laughs) I I wonder, which I know I've told you this before, but uh, Julia has said this, and I've heard this from multiple other people, even people you don't even know, who said that you you have a really good podcast voice and stuff like that. Um, Oh, thanks, guys. Keep it up. I'll send send a text (laughs) out later. (laughs) Uh, wink, wink. <laughs> I used to be I guess, somewhat self-conscious about my voice before, like, because I used to have a really high-pitched voice when I was a kid, and then it dropped, and then, like, I kind of, that seemed like the only thing that made the, uh, you know, pubescent girl swoon for a while was my voice, <laughs> to the point where I'd say from, like, maybe thir- I mean, 12 to 14-ish, because my voice started dropping when I was 12, I would purposely talk lower than my actual voice is to try and, and but i just mumble so like my I, our family voice was like, like ooh, got a little voice like <laughs> even though you can't decipher anything i'm saying yes i do that's right <laughs> and I, also i guess i don't have to sing every day to do stuff to you know, work to just communicate sure so you get more at least for me i got more comfortable then it also didn't hurt working at Starbucks where I was perfectly purposely put in the drive through because everyone would go, Oh, you have a voice for radio. Or my favorite was people would go, is this real? Like, what do you mean? Is this real? <laughs> like they, they thought it was pre-recorded. I'm like, no, that's my voice. Oh, that is me. <laughs> I am real. I, 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 I worked in an HR um, office before and one of the things I would have to do is uh, uh, telephone interviews and mm. I, I I will admit there were times where I would recommend hiring people just based on their telephone voice like there's something if it, you know pleasant sounds can be can be very influential <laughs> hmm. were, were these jobs where they would be on the phone a lot well kind of because they were insurance auditors that oh, okay. I was hiring for I was a it, independent contractors and, you know, I talked to people in all 50 states, um, you know, I was I was doing several hundred phone interviews a year. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if they could speak well, uh, if they communicated well verbally, I would hope that would indicate that they could communicate well in a written capacity as well. So, you know, it it was a phone interview could be a make or a break. Hmm. I never, sure. uh, I don't know if I ever, <laughs> I had a phone interview with, oh my gosh, what's that call center company that's based in Greeley over by the jail? StarTech? Yeah, it's StarTech. Star something. Uh, is, star, I, star, I, isn't it StarTech? There's a star in there. StarTech. I want to say, it sounds too much like Star Trek. Maybe I'm making that up. Hold on. StarTech? Like yep, with a K. Star. It's, yep, StarTech. Yep, StarTech. Um. Because when I first uh, wasn't even technically finished with school yet, I was trying to find a job, so I emailed our uh, friend Sarah from the chamber. I was like, do you Mm -hmm. know anyone who's hiring around here for sales jobs? StarTech always is. 
I scheduled a yeah, phone interview always. with me for like seven in the morning when I was working until what? eleven like the other night, the night before. And I even told him I was mean? like, Hey, like look, this is the only time we have, which I later found out they do that on purpose. <laughs> Just to screw with you? Yeah, so like, you know, basically to say we you know, we have the upper hand here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So like they mm-hmm. give you a date. If you don't go with it, they're, they're just move on. So I fucking missed a call. I slept right through it. Oops. Um, but I've also had things where I'll I think you and... really dodged a bullet on that one, Noel. I'm just saying. <laughs> I had heard bad things about them before I even was, oh. like, applying to work there. So, like, but, yeah. you know, this was the... Uh, the worst of the worst when it comes to the Great Recession. So, jobs were uh, not easy to come by. That was <laughs> was fun. People were like into borders and going, "Wait, you have a degree and you still work here?" I'm like, the job market sucks. Yeah. Have you read a? Do you watch the news? Have you read <laughs> exactly. a paper? <laughs> like, where the fuck have you been? <laughs> and... You just like live in a lavish cabin on a pile of money, and you have no electricity. Like, how do you not know what's going on? So I found these aren't phone interviews, but going to interview for sales jobs around that time and knowing that I'm better at it now, but I, even like up until maybe a couple of years ago, if I'm on the phone with somebody like in a business capacity, I don't like people listening in. I'm not going to go off the script because I, the minute I miss something, I freak out. It's the same way I, I speak in public. Oh no. I'm a, I'm a fine public speaker. Not that makes it like I'm I'm excellent. I'm an okay enough public speaker. I'm, I don't shy away from it. But I go yeah. off of an outline. So that way I know where my direction is headed. Right. But I'm not going, I missed that word. That word wasn't so important. And so it's on the phone, kind of the same way. It's, I know that I can, I know I can talk to people. I know I can be pleasant. So I'm not going to go off the script. Same reason why I hate, and I understand why some people, it's good for some people. But I think role-playing customer service situations is dumb because it's yes, rare you. that people act like that. Uh-huh. The customer doesn't go, well, this is – hmm. There's you know, people sitting around in a room going, well, this is how the customer will respond. You don't know that. Until you've actually worked <laughs> with customers, you have no idea. Um, so I would tell people this in interviews, which were going great, and then knock it calls back and go, well, yeah, is this – should I be more, I guess, less honest? More different? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and tell them, sure, I'll go along with your you know, reading off a script because that helps some people, but I think I'm, I'm fine on my own. Or just go, I'll do anything you want me to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, so, customer interactions <laughs> i had a new one today oh god <laughs> and it wasn't like particularly horrible it was just another another like adding to the long list of awkward interactions with people and uh this gentleman who was very nice uh he had asked for a particular book and of course we didn't have it in stock because it was some like super rare obscure print on demand only kind of thing <laughs> And so I, I, so I explained that to him and I said, I'm sorry, we don't carry this in stock. The publisher, it, it's a print on demand book. So no bookstore is going to carry it. And he turns to me really aggravated and he says, well, that's a nuisance. And then he walked off. <laughs> I was like, what you, the fuck just happened? <laughs> were you really expecting to get that? Like, a uh... nuisance? <laughs> like, 
just, I, I literally, I was at a loss on that one. So, but thankfully, like I said, he just walked away. So I just said, okay, <laughs> sorry, have a nice day. <laughs> uh, good That's luck all I finding do. that nowhere. What? Yeah, that non-existent book that literally is only printed when you order it directly from the publisher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh it gosh. never it never fails it never no. fails i <laughs> was going to discuss something that happened to me at work today but i that'll just get me off on a tangent which i don't want to go on sure yeah people oh my gosh but before we go uh too much longer because we should probably keep this a relatively short tonight since it's we started late sure. plus uh i need to get some sleep as yeah. we said before um so one of the things that I don't say bugs me because that may, I say that all the time, but I find even more perplexing than usual with this whole Roy Moore thing is not the fact that tribalism has gone so far to the point that people are going not only like saying what about Bill Clinton or what about this or what about that or trying to justify the fact that this man in his thirties was banned from a mall and hung out at high school football games and was sexually allegedly sexually assaulting you know 14 and 16 year olds and these people are trying to say it's okay i guess what i find more perplexing is that now we're glossing over all of the other terrible shit that is this man the fact that he has openly said that muslims shouldn't serve in congress he was twice removed from his position as a judge because he was not upholding the constitution has said awful, vile things about homosexuals and some pretty openly racist things. And that wasn't bad enough to mm. say he wasn't, he shouldn't be in the Senate. Now it's not saying that this is, it's excused, but now it's bad. And I, I feel like it's, we're glossing over these other things. <laughs> I was talking with a friend of mine on Facebook about this and. I kind of was laughing because apparently he just doesn't keep up on the news other than voting for his tribe. So he's not sure what's in the tax plan, but he, he's going to vote for it. He's not sure who Roy Moore is, but he's, he thinks he should stay in, this, in, the, in the race. And he goes, why is he so bad? And I just fired off all sorts of links to him. I don't have time to read those. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, really? Like links to a tweet? No, I know these... they're 280 characters now, but really? You don't have time for that? Or things where you could simply... Like to even consider it? You could just read the lead and go, oh, shit. Yeah. And one of them, he was like, Oops. well, are, yeah. you, like, are you sure that thing about uh, saying Muslims shouldn't serve in Congress? Like, that maybe not take you out of context. I'm like, here's a fact check thing. Or here's his actual quote. Like, well, like, his, he wouldn't even engage in it. Or I sent him, not to put this one friend on blast, because I think, I don't want to say he's representative of conservatives, but what I've been noticing the more and more now that I've been reading of quote-unquote conservative uh, intellectuals is that the people that vote for Trump don't read them either, don't care what they yeah. say. Yeah. So I honestly think that a large part of the Republican platform is if someone makes liberals mad, they're good for the country somehow. And... I don't, <laughs> or I guess in shorthand, lol libs. If if that's the qualification, that's that's really quite despicable, isn't it? 
because... It's not only despicable, it's cowardly. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the words for it. And I, Roy Moore, as a particular figure in, in this time, right now, this moment, November of 2017, it's almost like all the other horrible things that you just outlined about this man, the xenophobia and the racism and just, just all these things that are patently not good qualities in a leader because he outright rejects any part of his constituency. It's like, it's almost like we're trying to wring our hands right now. Anybody, anybody with some type of conscience well, surely the fact that he molests underage girls, surely that's enough. Surely that would be, that's, that's the final straw. That's what breaks the camel's back. Surely that would be that enough. And unfortunately, that's not the case for some people. And that's despicable and cowardly. No, that right. the, really, yeah. of all the, all of the things that he represents and stands for, this is not a deal breaker. This isn't. This is not a deal breaker. No, and I think the only thing that might be a deal breaker is if he uttered anything that made him sound progressive. Yeah. Or even more to the cowardly thing even hinted that he may be just a bit apologetic about anything. I understand because <laughs> being 34 myself, if I were to right now make a mistake and go, hey, I'm only 34, I don't know any better, that would be incredibly stupid. But I think there would be at least some, I don't know, something, however minuscule, redeeming about going I was a bad person back then I may have done some things I'm not proud of maybe I don't know if that excuses it but at least it makes you sound human now this is just the Trump playbook of everyone else no matter what they do I mean I don't know if he has brought this up or not but when the news about Franken came out mm -hmm. I sat there going oh shit because I read his book this spring and was like, oh, I enjoy it. And I listened to his radio show occasionally when he's on Air America. And like, oh, like he's, he seems like a decent dude. But when that allegation came out and he the picture to boot, you're going, this is not going to be an isolated incident. Because if he did yeah. that, that's the type of thing mm -hmm. where people are going, yeah, I'm powerful. I'm a dude. I can do what I want. And... You know, if I, if I want to have my picture taken next to a uh, attractive chick, and, you know, as... <laughs> this is how stupid this has become now. Not stupid. Gross. Or... Is it gross or just expected at this point? That's... Because I was now going to steal... That's a good question. To steal yeah. a term from George H.W. Bush, that Al Franken was like, I'm just going to cop a feel if I feel like it. And then to see... It's fun to watch people in the Trump world talk about how the mainstream media and liberals aren't talking about Franken or Weinstein or I don't know how Spacey is somehow now a left-wing cause, but uh, <laughs> or Clinton <laughs> yeah. when they are. Exactly, I, they are. And then 
But at the same time, again, to those kind of conservative pundits I've been talking about, not the ones on Fox, but the ones that write for National Review and stuff like that are in the Weekly Standard, they're actually going, well, yes, it's admirable that... So one of them brought up, his name is Jonah Goldberg. And do you remember, because I believe this would have been about the time that you were at... Yes, would have been the time at Borders, because I remember working that stupid Chautauqua event with uh, Alex at that time. Oh, dear God, Chautauqua. The book, uh, Rural Fascism. Yes, I do remember that book. So I follow Jonah Goldberg on Twitter, which... For those of you who, if you have Twitter and use it, unlike Michelle, who I'm not being saying, use Who has it but doesn't use it? What? If you actually like using it, I I scroll through it because I think there's some funny stuff on there. Joan Goldberg is actually one of the better conservative types to follow because his columns, even if you don't agree with them, are well thought out. They're not meant to be, like, as I said, lol libs kind of things. He's, unlike... um, I was listening to the pod. I guess it must have been a podcast from two weeks ago, um, by the friends like these podcasts on Crooked Media, where they're talking about Kevin D. Williamson, who is currently the uh, William F. Buckley Jr. Fellow for the National Review. Okay. And for me, he's a bit kind of like a bit too almost always like uh, he's not almost he's super angry. He's not like a Fox News like kind of angry. But he tends to kind of over-dramatize a lot of stuff. But he's not hes not Fox News bad. He's just like, dude, you're smart. Stop doing this. Um, and they were talking about, like, on that podcast how he can write... Williamson can write some good stuff, but he can also go overboard. I found that Goldberg tends to be fairly restrained, which is why I'm going... I would never have thought that with the book Liberal Fascism and remembering... Who at that border store really bought that? And like, these are the same people that bought Glenn Beck shit. Like, uh, really? Mm-hmm. But anyways, so on Twitter he posts that, and also pictures and videos of his dogs. So it's like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> so yeah, he posted a, a really good thing about kind of because obviously you and I were, but we kids when the whole Clinton stuff was going down. That's right, Bill Clinton, not Hillary Clinton, people. Again, I don't know That's how. Right. I don't know how you blame, even like the Juanita uh, Broderick allegation that she, when she said that she felt threatened by Hillary Clinton, she even their sins are synonymous. <laughs> well, what Broderick said and was questioned about this in an interview that I read was Hillary Clinton came up to her and at the time, especially it was Hillary Rodham, and simply said, "Thank you for your for supporting our campaign and for the help." And Broderick took that as a threat, or at least a kind of like, thank you for staying quiet. And the interviewer was like, well, how did you get that from what she said? And she kind of just went, I don't know, I felt it. That If that's kind of the worst they have to offer, I, mean, I guess you can kind of say that Clinton, or Rodden Clinton was enabling Bill. But I don't really see how, I don't really see it, I guess. Anywho, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I, I feel like Hillary Clinton is uh, very unduly and unjustly blamed for a lot of things that her husband has done in the past. And, you know, there's, 
there's been allegations out there that don't have to do with Hillary Clinton at all. Allegations of of his abuse of power. And I mean, just just even Monica Lewinsky, that's an example of an abuse of power. Mm-hmm. And that's wrong. And I, I do believe it should have been handled differently. And I, the more I think about it, the more I think he probably should have resigned. And it, it, you know, it was, it was an abuse of power. Like there's no getting around that. He was the president of the United States. She was an intern and there's been other affairs and other examples that have been alleged against him. He is not without, he as a person is not without question, um, uh, questioning of his character, right? Oh yeah. At the same time, we should we should qu- we should look into that. We we do need to investigate it, and we also need to take current allegations more seriously. For sure. So, the the allegations made against the current president, Trump, and the women who have said that he has acted very inappropriately with them. Um, from advances to violence, that should be taken seriously too. And the the whole defense against those current allegations, well, what about Bill Clinton? Oh yeah, that's that's not a fucking defense. That is not that is not a defense. And I could I could just see that kind of conversation happening. Um. Where it's like, well, we can't change the past, so what are we going to do about it now? That's what I want to know. In all, in all of these, all of the things coming to light, all of the allegations that have been reported on that had been covered up for such a long time. I mean, what are we going to do about it now? I don't want to know how it was mishandled 20 years ago. I want to know what we're going to do about it right now. Mm-hmm. And that's that's up for investigation for everybody. And, you know, the false notion that liberals are trying to pretend that Bill Clinton didn't have allegations made against him or that they're protecting Harvey Weinstein or any, any other like democratic or liberal leaning person who has had their own. It is that tribalism that you brought up before. It's a way, as you've said numerous times, well, what about this? Well, what about them? I'm not asking you about them. What are you going to do about this right now? And I feel like that's the reckoning that's been happening over the course of the last couple of months. I, my boss, he just, just randomly at work, he sat down next to me at my desk. He pulled up a chair and he said, I want to know your opinion as a woman. Why do you think this is happening right now? And I said, I'm not sure, but I think it's because Trump was elected. And he kind of looked at me and he was like, well, what do you mean? And I said, a president with this type of history, whose wife tried to sue him for spousal rape. The the only reason we have the concept of spousal rape is because of Trump's wife pursuing that in court 25, 30 years ago. I said, it's because of this man who's been elected president, who is the leader of the free world, who has had these allegations made against him. He has spoken so openly about 
judgment and disgust and just demeaning of women, we're, there's a backlash against that. And I feel like that's why this, this kind of stuff, this kind of discussion is happening now. But if you're so worried about what happened 20 years ago that you don't want to talk about what's going on right now, that's counterproductive. We need to talk about both.